Hello, my beautiful friends. I am Laurel Bleeden Maffei with Illuminating Souls, welcoming you to this episode of Sleepy Bedtime Blessings, a podcast designed to help you rest, relax, and fall asleep, all while deepening in your connection with your beautiful team of angels who love you so. I am an angelic practitioner, a spiritual teacher, and an encourager of souls. And I do this through one-on-one angel sessions and soul mentoring and a variety of classes designed to inspire your spirit. And you can learn more at my website, illuminatingsouls.com, where you can also sign up for my daily inspiration email blast, where you will receive an inspiring email from me every weekday. But for now, the angels and I are here to help you come into a state of rest. So this podcast is inspired by two of my favorite forms of self-care. One is connecting with the angels. Truly, it uplifts me every time I do it. And the other form of self-care that I engage in every evening is listening to a sleep podcast. I'm presently listening to a sleep podcast called Sleepy Bookshelf, and I'm listening to them read Little Women. And it is the loveliest way to drift off to sleep. And yes, I do listen to this podcast as well. So the way to use a sleep podcast for sleep is what I do is I use earbuds It doesn't bother me to sleep with them, and they fall out at some point during the night. And I turn the volume down low. So if I was listening to an audiobook that I really wanted to listen to, the volume would be up higher. But with a sleep podcast, I tend to turn the volume down lower than usual so that I have to reach a bit to hear it because for me, that's more compatible with drifting off to sleep. So it keeps my attention, but it also makes space for my attention to drift off into the land of dreams. And I know that some of you like to listen to the podcast during the daytime, and it keeps you company, which is lovely as well. So however you enjoy this podcast, I am honored to have this time with you. As for the self-care of connecting with the angels, if you're new to the world of angels, they are divine celestial beings who embody divine love for all of us, for everything in this realm. And I experience them as independent of any specific religion. I think of angelic love more like the sun, that it loves without prejudice, 
that it simply exists, it is. And so I'm fortunate to have a job where I get to connect with the angels almost every day. And my job assists me in my well-being for that reason, that when I do an opening prayer, when I call the angels in, I also get to participate in this beautiful energy. And here's the good news. You do not need special training or a practitioner to deepen in your connection with the angels. All you have to do is ask them. You can say, hey, angels, please help me to experience more of your love. Bring me signs of magic. Help me heal. Because it is in your asking that a portal opens that gives the angels permission to connect with you. Because by design, our relationship with our angels is subtle. Because this is your journey. You have free will. And the relationship is so subtle, most people do not know that it exists. But this beautiful gift of free will also enables you to open to this connection. So when you invite in your angels, you give them permission to connect with you. Now, the connection will remain subtle. It's not as if all of a sudden (laughs) these miraculous woo-woo things are going to start happening to you. But it's been my experience that ease begins showing up on the path, that love, serendipity, sparks of inspiration, and signs of magic begin to meet us on our path. And you don't have to worry about asking the angels for something that is silly or pedestrian, as if you're somehow using up all the magic. And it's certainly not like a genie giving you three wishes where you have to be really measured and careful of what you ask for. The best analogy I can give you is to go outside on a sunny day and ask yourself if you could use up too much sun. If you could use up so much sun that there would be no more sun available for you or anyone else. It's an absurd concept. And if that is true for the sun, how could God's love be any less available to us than sunshine. Isn't that good news? And it's interesting, even though I work with the angels almost every day, I still forget to ask them for help. It's not unusual for me to feel stuck in something because I'm still a human being. (laughs) I get worried and overwhelmed and I have all the emotions, and I'll be talking to my husband about something that is presenting with some difficulty for me. And one of his first questions almost always is, have you talked with your friends yet? Which is code for, have I asked the angels yet? My answer is always no, because if I've gotten to that place, I have had 
angel amnesia, where I have forgotten all about them, because it's what we do as human beings. And that question always gives me pause. And it helps me remember that I am being supported. And as I said, it doesn't mean that everything is magically solved or everything is manifested through magic. We're still on a linear timeline here on earth and life is chaotic and there is a randomness to life and storms happen and we all go through the ebb and flow of ease and challenge and everything in between. But for me, remembering that the angels are here is a way of plugging into a battery pack. It brings me hope. It reminds me that I am operating in a universe that loves me. There is goodness here for me. And if that is true for me, I promise you that is true for you as well. And so I invite you to take a nice deep breath in and release. And I invite you to come into an intimate relationship and connection with your angels. Listen, I love helping you connect with the angels, but I also don't want you ever believing that you need someone like me in order to connect with the angels. I model this for you so that you can do this on your own as well. And yes, it is always lovely to be with you in sacred circle because I believe that whenever two or more are gathered in the name of the divine, miracles happen. So I am always delighted to call in the angels with you. But I also hope that through this podcast, you are developing your own relationship with your angels and that you are activating your own muscle memory so that you also remember they are here. Your angels love you so deeply. They have known you since before you were born and they are here supporting you. And you can ask your angels for help with anything. And they will only support you in ways that are conducive with your highest and best good. So take another deep breath in. And just release whatever came before this moment, allowing the love to come streaming in. And if you are preparing for sleep, I invite you to cozy on up and snuggle on in, fluffing your pillows just so, allowing your body to settle in and relax. And I'm going to call the angels in now. Even though they are already here, I love the ritual of bringing them into sacred circle with us. 
the beautiful angels on high, I am so grateful for this opportunity to come together with you in service to all of our beloveds listening to this message. So angels, I ask that you join us here. I ask that you create a beautiful sanctuary of divine light and love that flows to each of our beloveds. And angels, I ask that you clear from our energy fields anything that is not ours, anything that does not serve the highest and best good, and helping each one of us reconnect with divine source energy. As we remember who we are as divine beings in human form. And angels, I ask that you bring healing and light to our physical bodies. Allowing our bodies to receive the healing that is available to us. helping to balance our energy bodies, our emotional hearts, our minds. And dear ones, just take some nice deep breaths in and out, allowing yourself to come into the gentle, soft, sweet, light, of your angels. There's an angel oracle deck that I have been using for many years. It is the Healing with the Angels deck that was previously published by Doreen Virtue. It's no longer in publication, but that's a story for another day. But there is a card that is the healing card in that deck. And the image on the card is a painting of a woman who is curled up sleeping with her head in the lap of her angel. And while she sleeps or rests, the angel is gently stroking her hair. And there is something about that image that is so comforting to me. Every time I see it, I want to take a deep breath and just be present to that beautiful energy. So I invite you to just imagine your angels bringing you soothing, calming, comfort in whatever way is meaningful to you. You see, Your angels know you. They get you. They know what is transpiring for you. And so allow your angels to help calm your nervous system, bring calming, soothing thoughts to your mind helping you to connect with the wisdom 
and the magic of your soul. And just take another nice deep breath in. And you have permission to rest. You have done enough for this day. And while you rest, your angels will watch over you and support you. And while you prepare to drift off or to rest, I'm going to tell you a story. So for this episode, I thought we could do some wanderings through winter wonderland memories. I grew up in Chicago, in Skokie actually, but the Chicago area. And so winter, and I mean the full-blown courier and Ives winter with snow and cold, was an inherent part of my life until I moved to Los Angeles when I was 23. And so I have lots of jumbled, awesome winter memories that I thought I would share with you. And it's not important that you listen to all of them. I'm really keeping you company as you drift off to sleep. And I realize for some of you who are listening, perhaps you have lived in warmer climates all your life. And so your only relationship to winter and snow comes through television and movies and pictures. So I thought I would just share some of these memories with you. And it wouldn't be winter without talking about snow. And the magic of snow. One of the things that can never quite be replicated in a movie or television show is how quiet the world becomes when enough snow has fallen. There's something about the falling snow and its accumulation that creates a blanket of quiet and the world also becomes still because so many people stay home when there is a good snowfall. So that's the first thing that I connect with is the profound quiet that happens when there is a significant snowfall. And the magic of snowfall at night when you turn on the porch lights and you see these beautiful crystal flakes falling and the snow is accumulating. And if we're talking about childhood here, when the snow starts falling like that, it is magical. Not only because of the snow, but because of the possibility of having a snow day. And a snow day is when they cancel classes, they cancel school because the conditions are not safe for the students or teachers and staff to get to school that day. 
So whenever there would be a good snowfall, we would run downstairs in our pajamas because the TV was downstairs growing up and we would watch the news and there would be a a text crawl at the bottom of the screen that would list all the school districts that were not having school, right? This was before the time of robocalls and the internet. So you had to listen to the radio or you had to watch the television to find out if your school was in session. And let me tell you, when we would see our school's district number crawl across the screen, we would rejoice. We would be so happy. And I'm sure all of the parents were not, because <laughs> now it meant they had kids home for the day. Now, in the era that I grew up, which would be the late 60s and early 70s, it was more unusual to have both parents working out of the house during the day. So quite often there would be one parent who would be home anyways. But certainly if both parents still had to work, then they had to scramble for how they were going to take care of their kids who were not in school. But I don't remember that being an issue in our house. My mom did not start working out of the house until I was eight years old. And then she just worked during the school day, during the hours that we were in school. And I would imagine that on snow days, she would call in anyways, because she wouldn't have wanted to drive in that kind of snowy condition. So as soon as we knew it was a snow day, it was game on. I seem to recall there would always be hot cocoa involved. We would put on our many, many layers of clothing and snow boots. There's a wonderful scene in the movie A Christmas Story that if you're anything like me, you've seen it a thousand times. And it's how Ralphie's younger brother, Randy, gets swaddled up in so many layers to go outside that he can't put his arms down. (laughs) And there's a scene where the school bullies are running after the kids and Randy falls down in a snowbank. And the line is, Randy lay there like a slug. It was his only defense. (laughs) Because he couldn't get himself up out of the snow because of all his layers. I relate to that archetype so much. Because we would have these big clunky snow boots. And you'd have to dress in layers, for sure, because it was also cold outside. And we were going to now play in the snow because it was a snow day. Snow days were not for staying inside. They were for going out in the snow and playing. So we would have all our layers on and mittens and hats and scarves. And as I've shared with you before, I grew up on a block with a lot of other kids our age. And so we would descend into the neighborhood, a marauding band of 
layered up children <laughs> ready to build snowmen. And sorry for um, not being gender neutral, but they were always snowmen. We never built a snowwoman. That was just the era we lived in. And, you know, what would happen is each of our front lawns and back lawns would start off pristine. It was like a canvas, right? An untouched canvas. And then we would go from lawn to lawn. We would make snowmen. And if the snow was deep enough, we, we would imagine we could build a cave, which we were never able to build. Um, it just, we fancied ourselves as explorers and we would try to build a cave, which never happened. And then, of course, there were snowball fights. And in our snowball fights, we were not mean, meaning we weren't trying to pack them really, really hard and ice them over or anything super dangerous like that. I typically remember the quality of the snow as being fluffier so when you got hit with a snowball, it didn't really hurt, at least the way I played with my friends when I was a kid. And then you could play tag and tackle each other in the snow because you could fall and it wouldn't hurt. You could make snow angels. We could get out our sleds and pull each other in the snow. And so it would be interesting to see how each lawn of freshly fallen snow would eventually get trampled as we made our way up and down the block. It was a lot of fun. And then at some point we had to go in and get warm. And my recollection was we each went to our respective homes. We didn't all go into one person's house. And so when you went back into the house, you had to first stomp your boots off so you weren't tracking snow all through the house and you had to take off all the layers which were filled with snow and in our house you entered right into the living room there was a tiny short hall it was more like an alcove and so we had to be really careful the way we took everything off in that little alcove before we could come into the house so we weren't tracking snow everywhere. And then at some point, there would be the hot cocoa. As I recall, my mom made it in a saucepan, so it wasn't the Swiss Miss envelopes of hot chocolate. She would heat the milk up in a saucepan, and she would put in some Hershey's cocoa mix. And then we would have hot cocoa. We might have soup for lunch. And, you know, I was just thinking about our relationship with Campbell's soup. I don't recall my mom making big stock pots of soup. You know, in my adult life, I have made a big pot of chicken soup or vegetable soup. I don't recall my mom ever doing that. I'm not sure soup was one of the things that she made. But I grew up in the era of Campbell's soup. And the thing about Campbell's soup is we could each pick our favorite. 
and mine was chicken and stars. Like there were noodles shaped like stars. Why would you pick anything else? (laughs) So I liked chicken and stars. I seem to recall my sister liked chicken noodle and maybe my brother did too. My parents liked tomato soup, which I didn't like back then. And mushroom barley soup, which I would have never had as a kid, although now I think is delicious. And what I was trying to figure out as I was contemplating the meanderings for this episode was, I don't recall my mom having four different pots on the stove because each of our soups would have to be prepared separately. And we didn't have a microwave back then. Microwaves weren't really a thing in most houses. But somehow my mom would make us all soup. (laughs) And perhaps there was a sandwich involved. I don't remember. I don't have the tomato soup and grilled cheese memory that many other people have. That wasn't something we had. But there would be something warm involved for sure. And then once we were in from playing in the snow and there was a melting pile of slushy clothes and boots in the entryway, we then got to watch television. It was a glorious day, a snow day. And when you had more than one snow day in a row, it was like hitting the lottery. It was awesome. And then at some point, the snow plows would come down the streets and clear a path. But the thing about snow plows is you then had to dig the car out, which was not an easy process. And we did not have a garage back then. So God bless my father. You know, you would think he had three children and we would help with the shovel out. And we really never did. Um, you know, sorry, dad, (laughs) we were, we were not good helpers when it came to chores. So my dad would be out at some point he got a snowblower and that helped. But at some point the cars needed to be dug out. And, um, just as an aside, if for some reason, any of you who've never been in snow, find yourself in snow, and you need to shovel your car out, please don't think about running or starting your car before your tailpipe is exposed, because that's very dangerous. So see, I'll give you a helpful hint as well. And then once the snow was shoveled, you had to put down rock salt to help melt the ice so that the ice wouldn't accumulate. So it was a whole process recovering from a big snowstorm. But as a kid, it just was fun. As an adult, I haven't lived in an area with big snow in many years. So if I were in a place with snow, I would probably be delighted by it. Um, But it would be because I didn't have to live in it long term. I'll also say traditionally, when being in snowy conditions is portrayed. It tends to involve skiing of some kind and sledding. So I'm going to share with you some of my experiences with both of those things, none of which end well for me. Um, So first let's start off with the sledding. So 
in Evanston, which is the next town over from Skokie where I grew up, there was this hill that was called Mount Trashmore. It's still called Mount Trashmore. I just looked it up. It still exists. Basically, it was landfill, solid landfill, that was then grassed over and was called Mount Trashmore. Now, I did look this up. The city of Evanston no longer allows sledding on Mount Trashmore for good reason. Because allow me to share with you my memories of Mount Trashmore. So I need to start off by telling you that there are many different parts of life where I experience grace. I'm good at storytelling, or I don't know, maybe I shouldn't say that because you're like, Laurel, you are rambling. But I'm going to say, I, I think I have a certain grace for telling a story and teaching. I think I have grace when it comes to teaching and I have social graces. If I sat down at a table of strangers, I would be able to have a conversation. But you know where I do not have grace is physical grace. <laughs> I have this roly-poly body. I don't know where my center of gravity is. I haven't been able to find it yet. <laughs> and where my husband has the grace of a mountain goat meaning he can go anywhere and do anything. I do not. And I never have. So I remember going to Mount Trashmore and I seem to recall it was on a kid's outing of some kind. So whether we went in mass with someone's parents or the school took us, which I don't know that they would have, or it was a JCC outing and JCC stands for Jewish Community Center, which is the Jewish version of the YMCA, or whether it was a park district event, we would go to Mount Trashmore and we would bring our sleds. And I guess it's a 65 foot hill. And you would go up to the top and then you would slide down, which in theory sounds awesome. And the sliding down part was fun in my memory. But here's what came next. You had to somehow go back across the sledding path as all of these sleds and toboggans come whooshing down. You have to try to dodge all of these moving objects to get across the sledding path back to the starting position. So there was no safety zone or safety timing that allowed you to easily walk across the sledding path to get back to the start. So I remember this as dodgeball, but with sleds. And I remember being kind of terrified because you also are dragging your sled. You've now gone down Mount Trashmore with your sled or your toboggan and you 
Try to walk out as far as you can from the sledding path, but no matter how far you walk out, it is not going to be far enough. And then you kind of have to run as you're trying to time. It's like a video game. You're trying to time other people sledding and tobogganing to get free from their path before they would meet you. It's like Mario Brothers, right? And I don't have a clear memory of disaster, but I do think at some point I got hit by a sled. I don't remember it being catastrophic or horrible. I just remember the fear of, oh no, how am I going to get out of here? (laughs) So the way down was fun, but trying to get out of the line of fire was kind of terrifying. And I didn't move quickly. Roly-poly girl, not very graceful. And meanwhile, I'm wrapped up in layers, which makes it even harder to move anywhere quickly with the giant snow boots. So (laughs) I would do my best to get myself free and safe. But you know, as kids, you do this stuff. It's like a rite of passage. I wasn't going to be the scared one. No way. Am I going to be the one who sits on the side too afraid to go down Mount Trashmore? No, I'm going to go a second time and a third time. Like, Of course I will, even though inside I am quaking. <laughs> I'm like, this is a terrible idea. So that was um, one of my memories of Mount Trashmore. And I looked it up. And so it does exist. And they have outlawed sledding there because it's so dangerous. You know, when I grew up, a lot of things that we consider dangerous now, we were allowed to do. We didn't wear seat belts. We didn't have car seats. We didn't wear helmets. You know, playgrounds were covered in gravel. And, you know, gosh, we were lucky to make it <laughs> into our teenage years. So we were allowed to go on to Mount Trashmore and sled and then dodgeball our way back to safety. But the dodgeballs were sleds with human beings on them going many miles per hour. Good times. (laughs) And then on to skiing. So Illinois is pretty flat. I mean, the one hill that we had for sledding was made out of trash. (laughs) It's not as if we had a lot of mountains for skiing. I'm sure there were places to ski in Wisconsin and Michigan and stuff, but my family did not participate in winter sports. My family actually did not participate in sports. My my parents, I should say, my, my brother and sister did, but my parents were not sports people unless it was watching sports like a Bears game or a Cubs game. But physically participating in anything sport-like was not my parents' idea of a good time. Nor was it mine. (laughs) We've established that already, yes. But I do recall it would have been in my late teens or early 20s. I went somewhere with my friends to go skiing. And because I had never gone skiing, I started off on the bunny hill. 
And we rented the equipment, of course. And it was me and a friend, a girlfriend I seem to recall was with me on the bunny hill. So I was not alone on the bunny hill. But I was not alone on the bunny hill because there were children on the bunny hill. And, you know, kids learn things so quickly. Although I still am convinced if I was trying to learn to ski when I was six years old, I still wouldn't have been able to do it because of my, um, my difficult to find center of gravity. So here we were on this bunny hill in this beginner's class. And it did not go well for me. I did not have a lot of ankle strength. <laughs> and, but here's the part that was profoundly humiliating and why I never went skiing again. So when you made your way down to the bottom of the bunny slope, the way you got back up the bunny slope and you had to get back up it because that's where the lodge was and where you'd get to the parking lot to leave. So you couldn't just get to the bottom of the bunny slope and then just leave. You had to get back up it. And they had one of those tow ropes. And the way the tow ropes work is you hold on to them with your hands and you kind of sit back a little bit on your on your bum. So you're kind of um, squatting a little bit and the tow rope then pulls you up, but there's no chair involved. You're not sitting on a chair. You're just holding on to this ever moving rope, kind of sitting back a little bit, you know, sit standing kind of thing. And the rope pulls you back up. Simple enough, right? Little kids are doing this. My friend does this. It does not work for me for whatever reason. I can't seem to grab onto this rope tightly enough. It keeps going through my gloves. <laughs> and then I start moving a little bit, but I'm not good at sitting back. I think I shared with you on a different episode. I'm not good at kneeling or lunging or bending, you know, all of those things. Not so good at. And I'm humiliated. Like, I can't get this freaking thing to work. And this was the moment when I gave up on all winter sports. One of the instructors, which was a guy, as I remember, and, you know, I'm late teens, early 20s. And so how I am perceived by guys my own age is important to me. He finally has to get me up the bunny hill by having me lean back into his lap. <laughs> so he goes into the kind of squatting seating position, holding onto the rope, and I'm holding onto the rope, and he tells me to lean back into him. <laughs> so we hold onto the rope together. I'm kind of leaning, sitting in his lap kind of thing while he gets me up that freaking hill. I will never forget how embarrassed I was. It was awful. He was lovely about it. I don't even remember him, but I just remember feeling trapped and it was no fun. And so I never have gone skiing again. <laughs> that was it. I was done. So all of those years I lived in California and skiing is a thing out here because there's lots of mountains and friends would go skiing and I would be like, yeah, I'm going to pass. 
I'm going to stay on the flatlands. I will go hiking. I will not go skiing. So skiing has never been my thing. The other winter sport that I didn't mention earlier, of course, is ice skating, which is a huge thing. And I did, I'm going to put in air quotes. So just pretend I'm air quoting. Um, I did air quote, learn to ice skate, but I never developed any grace with it. But some of the cool things about ice skating was in my earlier years, my next door neighbors would flood their backyard and have their own little ice skating rink, which was super cool. And also at our local park district, Oakton Park, where we used to go swimming in the summer, they would flood one of their fields and have an ice rink, an outdoor ice rink. The thing, though, about the outdoor ice rinks that I grew up with was there were lots of irregularities in the ice. So there were bumps and lumps. There was no Zamboni in sight. And if you don't know what a Zamboni is, it is this super cool, huge vehicle that melts and freezes and smooths the ice for professional ice rinks. So whether you're watching professional skating or hockey, the Zamboni comes out and smooths the ice. Well, there was none of that. And so ice skating for me was kind of an endurance sport. I never had a lot of ankle strength, but I did have my own ice skates. And so my ice skating tended to be a lot of shuffling. (laughs) Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Great, I ice skated. At some point, they built the Skadium in Skokie, which was a professional ice rink. So the ice was more regular. And at some point, I learned to skate backwards. That was my big claim to fame. I could skate backwards. And I found that it was easier to skate backwards than it was to skate forward. But to do one lap around the ice rink exhausted me. So never was one for much skating. (laughs) Pretty much no sport. Any sport. Think of any sport. Yeah, I'm not going to be good at that. (laughs) So another thing about the winters in the Chicago area was there were times that we would have these bitter freezes, like Arctic freezes. And I went to school at Northern Illinois University. I I went there for a year and a half. And that's a story for another day. But Northern Illinois University is in DeKalb, Illinois. And when I was there, I don't know what it's like now, but back in the early 80s, it was in the middle of cornfields. And in the winter the wind would start in Iowa somewhere and would just roar across the cornfields and wheat fields until it hit our dorm is how it felt. And the dorm that I was in had one window that opened inward. Um, You'd sort of pull the handle and tilt the window in, which was a terrible design for a windy area. And I remember one long weekend, for some reason I was 
at school. They had canceled classes because of the weather. But there was nowhere I was going to go. I didn't have a car. I couldn't just drive back to Chicago, to Skokie. So I was there. And I remember that one night, the wind was coming in so badly, and the heat could not keep up with the cold, that water froze in our glasses. (laughs) We had water out, and it froze. And I was like, this is ridiculous. (laughs) And so somehow I got the idea, and I don't remember if someone told me this, but somehow I got my hands on duct tape. I think maybe they were giving us duct tape to try to tape up the windows, but the thing about duct tape is it wouldn't grasp onto freezing cold metal, which is what the windows were made out of, the frames of the windows. And somehow I got the inspiration, and maybe somebody told me, I don't recall where this pearl of wisdom came from, although now we can say it was from the angels, right? (laughs) The angels brought it forward. To use my hairdryer, inch by inch, to warm up the metal frame of the window so that we could get the duct tapes to stick to it. So inch by inch, I would heat up the window frame and get the duct tape to stick to it. It took me an hour, but finally the wind wasn't coming in anymore. And the room, it's not that it got warm, but it got warmer. (laughs) So then we did that to everybody else's room. The other thing I remember is because of the weather, they canceled food service, which was a terrible idea because we all needed food and they wanted us to walk to one of the other dorms that was like three blocks away. Not that three blocks is a long walk, especially if you're a college student on a campus, but when the wind chill factor is 85 degrees below zero and the wind is blowing so hard (laughs) that water is freezing in rooms, don't ask us to walk three blocks for food. So I remember calling up food services and yelling at somebody. I'm a really good advocate when I'm angry. And they brought over peanut butter and jelly and loaves of bread for us. (laughs) That was all they managed. But at least we had food. So I got food for my dorm. And I helped figure out how to tape the duct tape to the windowsills. So there's a little MacGyver in me. I'm I'm still not the one you want to be with in you know, any sort of emergency that requires physical prowess. But I was able to rustle up peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and figure out how to adhere duct tape to a frozen windowsill. Because I am, after all, my father's daughter. My father was very resourceful. So shout out to my dad, (laughs) Jack. He would have been very proud of me. So winter... Winter was just a whole tableau of experiences growing up. And the other thing that I will share about winter that was pivotal in my life choices was my awareness that in Los Angeles, they did not have the kind of winter we had in Chicago. Because I watched the Brady Bunch. 
I watched the Rose Bowl parade every year. And they were not subjected to the weather trials we had in Chicago. And somewhere early in my life, I knew that I would move to Los Angeles. First off, the entertainment industry was there, and I always had wanted to work in television. And they did not have the kind of winter we had. Total win. So my life choices were heavily influenced by winter in Chicago because I knew I did not want to live my life like that. I didn't want to have to wait 20 minutes for my car to warm up. I didn't want to have to scrape ice off of windshields. and I didn't want to have to shovel snow. And so as soon as I was able, I moved to Los Angeles and I have been living in California ever since, except for my one year in New York, which is its whole own story. And I love the weather here in California. I love our winters. Our winters, maybe at night it'll get as cold as 32 degrees, and that's pretty rare. But during the day, our high can be 70 degrees. I don't need a winter coat to go out. I don't need snow boots. I don't need special accoutrement. (laughs) I don't need, I don't need special equipment to go out into the world. And it's still cool enough here that we can have a fire in the fireplace, you know, on a cozy day. I can put lots of blankets on my bed. So those are just some of my winter memories. I have many more to share, so we can always revisit this theme another time. But here's my question for you. What are some of your winter memories? You know, wherever you live, winter happens in its own way, even if the weather never changes, right? It's the time of day, the way the sun goes down a bit earlier than usual. So the angels and I invite you to wander down your memory lane of your winters. And I actually am a fan of California winters. I prefer California winters to the California hot summers. So I'm a winter fan, but a California winter fan. And and when I say California, I don't know all of California because I know there's parts of California that have more robust winters than we have here in the Bay Area. But so far I've lived in Los Angeles and the Bay Area. And I have to say, as a girl born and raised in the Chicago area, I'm a big fan of the Los Angeles and San Francisco Bay Area winters. So I send you winter love. I hope that winter magic finds you wherever you are. I send you cozy, snuggly thoughts. 
They send you an astral cup of hot cocoa made just the way you like it. And they send you blessings for sweet dreams. So you rest well. I am so deeply grateful for you. I love you very much, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you.